Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week I am joined by returning guest John Dorowski to discuss Jack Justice and Trixie Dixon from the podcast Black Jack Justice. Welcome, John. Thank you. And producer Andrew, in his uh, role that we have not yet quite defined, is going to be jumping <laughs> in a bit more on this discussion. Right, Andrew? Yeah. Do you, do you get a promoted from producer to executive producer? <laughs> we, could, we could say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, the, the the trickiest ones are when he's the the other guest. It's like, well, I don't quite know what to refer to you as, Andrew. Um this Brother topic friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this topic was a request from patron Andrew. So thank you, Andrew, for supporting the show and also choosing a great podcast for us to talk about. Um we have only done one strictly audio adventure. It was the uh the turkey adventure from a few thir- uh Thanksgivings ago or a couple things things ago, I think. Um, but it's a medium that I've been looking to make sure we drop in a bit more frequently, whether it is through visiting old time radio or um, podcasts that are adopting that formula a bit more. There's a couple that we've talked about, but we just hadn't pulled the trigger on getting them in here. And I was unfamiliar with Blackjack Justice, and I'm really happy to have been introduced to it because of Patron Andrew's request. So again, thank you, uh, Patron Andrew. Now, John and producer andrew i assume both of you were unfamiliar with this text before i before we were asked to to cover it for the podcast is that correct i had come across dakota ring theater a couple of times on lists of popular podcasts or recommendations and that's kind of like the the bigger envelope that blackjack justice falls under for yeah. for i think you search for dakota ring radio and they've got right. a couple different so, stories ongoing yeah so dakota ring theater is the podcast and within it, it has several different programs. The two major ones being Blackjack Justice and Red Red Panda, which is a sort of a thirty superhero to style, more in the style of the Shadow than a true superhero. Mm-hmm. I, so, I didn't have any familiarity with it before either, so this is just what I've gleaned from from approaching it for this. So, and I hadn't listened to it; I had only seen it on the list, so I knew it existed, but it was such a big back catalog. I wasn't ready for that commit kind of commitment. Yeah, it seemed pretty sizable. Well, it goes well. Uh, this might be in your trivia, Jeff. How far back does it go? I think it's twelve years at this point, and it's still right. releasing new episodes now. Um, well, I guess let's let's just share a bit more info for our listeners. Blackjack Justice was part of Dakota Ring Theater, as you guys just mentioned, which is a podcast that featured narratives in the style of old time radio. The other main one was Red Panda, though I think I saw there's also Showcase, in which they would do um, kind of uh, pl- playing in other genres from old time radio, so old time science fiction. Oh, looking through the 
looking through their episode list, they had a, a couple of other things that would pop up, but it seems like those two are the only ones that are mainstays. Okay. And um, specifically, uh, we are going to be talking about episode 40 of Blackjack Justice, which tells the story of a cop coming to the private eyes, Jack Justice, who is played by Christopher Mott, and Trixie Dixon, who is played by Andrea Lyons, for help with an unsolved murder. And then we're also going to be talking about uh, episode 47, To the Manor Born, which was originally released on January 15th, 2012. It is uh, No, I already said that. It's episode 47 of Blackjack Justice. And it um, features Jack and Trixie getting stranded at a secluded manor house where there's a closed door murder both of these episodes were written and directed by greg taylor who is um from what i gleaned the creator of decoder ring theater and so now a bit more trivia this is continuing our string of making sure we cover some canadian popular culture this is a toronto-based podcast and it is also an award-winning podcast um i believe it is particularly for red panda that they have been uh nominated and won a few awards and patron Andrew sent sent in a note and he says there's a quirk about Black Jack Justice. They always credit the character as Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack De- Justice. But Martin Bracknell is fictitious. Greg Taylor, the real creator, did a stage play years ago about a dysfunctional team trying to create a radio play when the writer was hungover and forgot to write a script for that day. Some of the play uh, was the show they were uh, improving and the rest was about the team creating it. So it kind of balanced between the writer's room and then the performance, I think, of Black Jack Justice. And the show within that show was Black Jack Justice and the hungover writer was Martin Bracknell. And when um, uh, Greg Taylor created the podcast, he continued to credit Martin Bracknell, who never comes up otherwise, other than being listed as the immortal creator or the creator of the immortal detective, Blackjack Justice. Um, the series is uh, popular enough that it has also spawned a novel, which I believe currently what is being released in the podcast feed is an audiobook ver- or a audiobook version of that novel. Um, and there's also... I, I think there are a couple of novels. Mm. Uh, two Blackjack and a Red Panda, it looked like. Yeah, so as, as we noted, this one's been going for a while. Um, it uh, has a significant back catalog, but I enjoyed the, the two episodes that we were asked to listen to uh, enough that I jumped back to listen to the beginning of Blackjack Justice um, to, to get a sense. And uh, it is, um, I, I guess I, I should note, there, there are some podcasts that do the style of old-time radio, but often they are a little more postmodern or a little more playful with it. This is doing fairly straight um, modern yeah it's, it's pretty sincere yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, like this is the kind of uh noir radio broadcast you could have found listening to radio in the 1940s or 1950s whereas something like um thrilling adventure hour there's a, a very playful tongue-in-cheek element uh and they're almost satirizing some of the the conventions of uh golden age radio when when they release their podcast in that style and this one like you said andrew is a pretty sincere uh version it's not uh, goofing around with the tropes of film noir. It's just embracing them and giving you a straight up uh, detective story in usually 20 to 40 minutes. That seemed to be about the length of the episodes. And I didn't see, I don't think I saw any that were longer as I was just skimming through. Maybe there are a few, because as we noted, there are a lot of these episodes. Now, John, you said you listened to a couple of Red Panda Adventures just to get a taste of that flavor. Is that right? Yeah. And, and uh, what did that one I, like? It was more of the pulp hero uh, themes, but also pretty straightforward. It's Set in the 1940s, they're fighting Nazis. Um, Red Panda Classic. is a bit of a shadow char- type character who has some kind of mental powers, it looks like. Uh, his wife is also a superhero going by the name Flying Squirrel. 
So that was a little different that you had uh, the wife, who was also a reporter, uh, right. also playing a superhero mm. with uh, with her husband. So that was I thought that was a nice variation. But uh, again, they weren't really playing around with uh, parody or satire. This was more homage or pastiche of the yeah. classic radio styles. Which, um, in some ways, it was kind of nice to discover that because so often when we get modern media that is playing with older style um, pop culture, they feel the need to kind of um, show that we're beyond that and that we understand this. Was yeah. Really oh, how quaint. Kitschy. Yes. And, and we're going to do something clever uh, by by mixing it up. And I love some of those. So like with with film noir, we get modern, um, you know, postmodern genre mashups with stuff like Veronica Mars, where you're going to say, I'm going to take the teenage soap opera in high school and mix it up with film noir or Angel, where I'm going to take the monsters and mix it up with film noir. Um, and I enjoy those a great deal. But it was kind of fun to find this podcast that's being produced now that's just doing this straight up um, old style film noir as a radio play. I mean, it's still relatively self-aware because they're dealing with tropes and they, and in, in particular, one of these episodes, they yeah. talk about, it's like, yeah, these characters have read detective fiction. So they get the tropes and they mm-hmm. will acknowledge that they are living the tropes. Yeah. It was right? in the men are born, yeah. which we'll talk about, but they were self-aware, but not mocking. Yeah. They, they weren't um, like, yeah, this is how it always goes. And we're living that. They're just saying, well, this is how it always goes. And it's how it always goes. Um, I'm trying to think in, um, thrilling adventure hour, they sometimes had a side character show up in, um, beyond belief who was kind of their version of the noir detective and, uh, pterodactyl Jones, PJ, there it is. Pterodactyl Jones. Who was, uh, I, I remember at least once was played by Patton Oswalt, but he mm-hmm. had a ghost pterodactyl. That was his sidekick. And it was extremely, um, playful and tongue in cheek, uh, in postmodern and how it was dealing with the tropes of, of noir. Uh, and that's not what you're coming for this. And again, like it's, it's kind of refreshing to just say, okay, we're doing the story and we're going to do it straight. Well, also in thrilling adventure, you had, Fathom the deep sea detective. Oh right, yeah, which, was, which was heavily noir. <laughs> yeah, it was heavily noir, but also Batman and Aquaman all yeah. rolled into one. Um, before we move on to the more specific discussion of these two episodes, I was just wondering what is uh, for both of you like your familiarity with old time radio. Now, I, I guess I should note, John, we asked you to come onto this one because currently you're you're writing your doctoral dissertation and you're dealing a lot with noir um, as uh, an element of the um, you know the the stories that you're you're addressing in there. So this is something that you're you're involved in on, on in terms of the genre um, in in some ways. But what well, about I'm focusing. I'm focusing a lot more on the Gothic than noir, though that does fold in. They're like, they're related, but not directly. Um, So I didn't do a lot of research into noir per se, but you can't dive into 40s pop culture and not encounter it. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's going to be a heavy part of it. And for me, I think the earliest exposure is basically Batman, the animated series in the 90s, which is, you know, About as noir noir as Batman gets for the most part. It's, you know, they said it in kind of this quasi 1980s, 1930s Gotham Mm -hmm. where you have a lot of room for noir tropes and imagery. Um, And then I'm thinking of like specifically the episode about the gray ghost. Yes. um, Who would be like a noir pulp hero Mm -hmm. um, sort of style. And so that's that's my initial exposure to it. I I don't think I've ever had any truly unfiltered exposure where um, it was you know, without the context of, and this is film noir, and this is a detective story. You know, it was always with that kind of cultural understanding of the genre. What about with uh, classic golden age or old time radio? Have you listened to much of that? Not a ton. Um, some old, some old Batman and Superman. 
and that's kind of the extent of it. It's harder to access than I'd like it to be, even though there's there are archives online, but it's not convenient. Actually, there are a lot of podcast feeds that uh, collect those old radio shows. Uh, you can find ones on detective fiction, on horror fiction, on superheroes. And so I don't know the quality of those the recordings, feed, but, but um, they do exist. Yeah, and I, I know there's a lot of free archives available online, so it's possible that some of those archive sites are setting up those podcast feeds mm-hmm. where they can just feed it in. Um, because a lot of that old audio is not something that's really protected with copyright or, or it's something that's lapsed or people haven't cared to maintain it or things like that. Um, they're not owned by larger corporations that see to it, that it maintains its um, financial efficacy. Yeah. Yes. John, have you listened to much old time radio? Um, not noir detectives. I've listened to a, a fair amount of Superman. Um, some of the horror shows, cause that's um, a very more, gothic, a little more of my field right now. Um, I believe I have listened to a couple of the detective ones, but it's also uh, something that gets so filtered into our culture. Uh, so you can feel you, like you know even, even if you haven't engaged with it directly. Yeah, even if I haven't uh, listened to the radio shows, I have seen a couple of the films, read a couple of the novels, but it's also, uh, I mean, any crime drama is going to have some elements of noir pop up. Right, which is one of the the biggest genres uh, on network television. Um, I've listened to all of the existing episodes of The Adventures of Superman, and I've done a bunch of Suspense, which is a fantastic um, serialized episodic, um, or what's the word I'm looking for, where each one's different. Uh, Anthology. There we go, Anthology. The word was escaping me. Um, That would bring in lots of great Hollywood actors on it, so like Gregory Peck will be in one episode and things like that. and so I listened to a bunch of that and I've done some shadow, a couple of the comedies and recently I've been listening to some of the, the um, Sherlock Holmes radio plays from uh, with Basil Rathbone. Um, he, when he was doing the films, he would also um, head over and do a radio show weekly uh, for a good while there. Um, and I think there's something that's uh, just wonderful about old time radio that we don't quite get in like, uh, like audiobooks is probably the most popular genre that's now adjacent to the old time radio, but there's something very different about like the fully produced. You've got the cast, you've got the sound effects guy doing Foley work. Um, and listening to the the time pressure of the old time radio, like where you can sometimes catch they're speeding up because they've looked at the clock and they, you know, they, their, their window is closing um, for this live play reading um, of, of the story. And um, now with um, narrative, podcasts so i like dueling genre does uh geek by night and um we we talked about um uh, the galactic football league in a previous episode and thrilling adventure hour decodering theater there's like a with the podcast medium we're seeing um some people adopting some of those uh styles and and i'm glad to see it coming back well, i think uh, right now we're actually having a veritable explosion of fiction in the podcast form and this is something we'll discuss after your long summary but i want to talk about about that format and some of the challenges to doing just an audio format. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we get to that, uh, the spoiler filled synopsis listeners, we want to thank you for joining us and downloading this episode. And we want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon, like patron Andrew. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick cast, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers or talk about TV shows or books that we've been reading or watching. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office, which is not off to a smashing start. All patrons who support 
support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Andrew, you might be more pleased with the start of our fantasy box office. I mean, I haven't checked things since this past weekend. Well, let's just remember that last year we did have Black Panther at this point. Yeah, and altogether, nothing is standing up to that that mark. Anything's going to be disappointing at this point. Um, For these summaries, I'm actually going to do the reverse order in which they were released. I'm going to start with To the Manor Born, which is a little lighter, funner um, episode, and then do the summary for the Albatross second, because that one's a little more serious, and I think there's a little bit more thematic heft for us to um, dig in in a discussion of that one. Uh, But I also did enjoy seeing in these two episodes the different uh, tone that the same actors and the same writer were able to play with um, in episodes that dropped about a year apart, if I remember right, when these were um, coming out, um, where it's it's clearly both set in this noir detective world, but you get a very different um, style or or weight to the stories uh, that are being told. So to the matter born. We open with some classic film noir overwrought narration as Jack Justice and Trixie Dixon head to a hotel where they've been hired to make some inquiries for a rich man planning to write his will, except they can't find the hotel. After an hour on on an obscure road, they see a building and decide to stop. There they meet a butler named Smith, the owner of the place Lord Lashwood, as well as two guests who are potential heirs to Lord Lashwood. There is Lashwood's great niece by marriage, Emily Bradshaw, and his step godson, Chester Taggart. So these are pretty distant... (laughs) Great niece by marriage and a step godson. Um, they're all together in an office when the power is cut off and a shot rings out. I think we all could have seen this coming. Uh, and in the darkness, the lights flicker back on and Lashwood is bleeding oh, on we, the floor. We can all see it coming in. So does Trixie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Lashwood is bleeding on the floor and Smith, uh, the butler, declares that Lashwood is dead. Trixie has been drinking since they got in the house. So Jack Justice takes a more controlling role in the mystery solving. Like he's he's more the point person on this one. And Jack interviews Emily, who reveals she didn't even know Lord Lashwood until today. And it would be a lie to say that she never dreamt she'd have a rich uncle who died and left her money. But she knows the will wasn't changed. Uh, so she's just sad that Lashwood has died. Then uh, Jack Justice interviews Chester Taggart, who is a jerk and believes he's being framed for Lashwood's murder. He says he would have acted however he needed to become an heir, but he despised Lashwood and is now just angry that Lashwood didn't have time to change his will. Now Jack reveals everything he's worked out. The power did not blink off. It was turned off in the room by a hidden switch near where Lashwood was. The gun was hidden there too. And Lashwood wasn't Lashwood. He was actually the butler Smith. And he's not really dead. You see, Lashwood wanted to see his potential heirs as they really were, not when they're sucking up to him. So he pretended to be the butler. His butler, Smith, pretended to be Lashwood. Then they faked a murder with a blood packet and all so that Lashwood, as Smith, could see how his potential heirs acted and spoke about him after they believed he had died. Now he knows he should leave his estate to Emily and not Chester the end of that episode. So that was kind of a, uh, the cozy closed room mystery without even a murder taking place. Like you think there's a murder, but no, not really. Uh, the second one is called the albatross. And in this Lieutenant Sabian, who um, I went back and listened to some of the earliest episodes and he shows up in the very first episode of uh, blackjack justice. Seems like he's the recurring point person from the police force that would show up periodically in the, in the series. Lieutenant Sabian comes in and he drops a case on their desk. This is decidedly unusual as the police and the PIs have a strained relationship at best. Sabian has a murder. He's been ordered to stop investigating and he wants Jack Justice and Trixie Dixon to look into it. A 17-year-old black girl named Laverne Adams was killed six weeks ago. She lived in the slums, so the press didn't really pick up on the case. She was found dead in a six-floor apartment that had been cleared out. Uh, The super wouldn't tell the cops anything about who had been renting it. 
She had been shot six times, and the medical examiner discovered she was pregnant when she was killed. And the medical examiner also noted that the baby had very pale skin compared to Laverne's. And when Lieutenant Sabian started to look into that, he was all but ordered to get off the case. Justice warns Sabian about becoming obsessed with cases that he can't solve. They happen inevitably in this business. And Dixon laughs because Justice has been looking at an old case about Stanley Moretti, a, a poisoner, or Jack, or as Jack calls him, an alleged poisoner. Um, and he can't let this old case go. Um, however, Justice and Dixon take the case uh, for Lieutenant Sabian. And just a side note, uh, when I went back and listened to the earliest episodes, in episode one, Trixie Dixon walks into the office and notices that uh, Jack Justice never left the office, office that night, and she sees that he's been looking at the Moretti file. So that goes, this is episode 40, I think 40, and back in episode one, he was dealing with the Moretti files and trying to, to solve that case that um, had gotten away from him. Uh, after, let's see. So we find out about the victim that after she got pregnant, Laverne's mom kicked her out and Laverne stayed at a house run by nuns who were trying to help the poor. After asking around and coming up empty, one nun is willing to talk about Laverne. This nun reveals that Laverne had big plans for her life and had even become involved in political campaigning for candidates she supported. A community organizer named Lawrence Chapman recruited young people to help, um, kind of canvas the area for the election to help try and drum up people who'd go vote for their candidate. And Chapman's efforts had helped a man named Green get elected as city councilman. Immediately, Justice and Dixon suspect Chapman uh, because he seems to have had one-on-one contact with Laverne. They call the superintendent of the apartment where Laverne's body was found, and they say they have been asked by Mr. Chapman to come pick up any of his belongings from the sixth-floor apartment. And the super says Chapman already cleaned that place out. Um, so now they know that Chapman was the one renting that apartment, uh, meeting with Sabian. They tell him Chapman must be his man. And they explain why they think that, but then Sabian shows them a file for Lawrence Chapman, who was killed in a mugging last night. And looking at the photos, they see he was a black man and unlikely to be the father of Laverne's, uh, baby. And also uh, Chapman had $500, hidden on his body, but nothing really makes sense to connect this back to Laverne. Jack puts some pieces together, and then he calls Councilman Green's office, and he leaves a message asking him to meet at the address of the apartment building at 9 p.m. that night. That night, Councilman Green shows up at the apartment where Laverne's body was found, and Jack and Trixie are waiting for him. He asks what they want, and they thank him for coming to his little love den. He plays dumb, but they point out that they didn't leave an apartment number, just the address for this whole building. He still plays dumb, but then they paint the picture of Chapman helping Green to have his affair and then blackmailing Green for $500 once uh, Green was elected. And that was the money that they found on Chapman's body. Uh, and Green must have had Chapman killed, but now uh, Jack and Trixie say they plan to take over the blackmail. Green pulls out a gun and reveals he's sorry about what happened to Laverne, but she wanted to keep the baby and that would have ruined his career. Now Green will just kill two more people and not have to worry about blackmail anymore. Just then Sabian comes out from where he's been hiding. He has listened to the whole thing and he is ready to kill Green. He's ready to stage it. He uh, like uh, Green drops the gun uh, and... Uh, Sabian yells, put down your gun. So he could shoot him so that the witnesses down the hall would hear that Green had ordered him to put down the gun and they could stage it to look like Green still had his gun. Jack Justice says, and I'm going to read the quote here directly. Sabian, if you want to splatter the scumbag's brains, I'm not going to stop you. We're going to squat. We're not going to squawk and we won't even think any less of you afterwards. If you kill Green because you reckon he deserves it or you don't trust the courts or even just because you think Laverne Adams would want you to, that's fine with me. But if you're doing it so you won't have to see her lying on the floor when you close your eyes anymore, don't bother. It doesn't work that way. You'll only add this piece of garbage to your worries. One more albatross around your neck, but it's up to you. 
Sabian decides to arrest Green, and we hear later uh, in the epilogue that Green has been sentenced to life in jail. Two days after the trial, Sabian drops off a file for the the police file for the Moretti poisoning. It has details that Jack Justice already knew, but then it also has some new information. Uh, Moretti was accused of poisoning his neighbor, Clarence Dobbs, uh, but the state... um, uh, in this file, he discovers a suicide note from Mrs. Dobbs that reveals uh, explicitly that Mrs. Dobbs had an affair with Moretti, and together they had planned to, po- to poison her husband. After all these years, Jack Justice, um, uh, oh, for all these years, Jack Justice thought the details of this case hadn't added up, so he assumed Moretti had been innocent. He did not realize that Moretti had the accomplice uh, in uh, Clarence Dobbs' wife. So at least for now, he knew, knows Moretti was really guilty and he should not, Jack Justice shouldn't feel guilt that Moretti uh, was killed by the courts uh, or, by, or by the government. The end. Really ended on a downer there. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, he, he gets one albatross off of him, so there's that. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, he does admit that there's just one of many albatrosses yeah. that he has. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, these two episodes, like you said, uh, ended on a downer. These, uh, the first one is kind of light and fun. And the second one, it's like, in this half hour, let's talk about race, gender, journalism, politics, PTSD, justice, justice being miscarried. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's just dig into all of that in 30 minutes. And I thought it was a really tightly written and well-performed 30-minute uh, episode of this podcast that covered all those bases, didn't really stop to preach on any of them, but they're all present there. Yeah, yeah. Both, both these episodes cover a lot of ground in a short amount. Yeah, of time they're there. very efficient. Um, and before you had given me these episodes to listen to, I had started listening to one of the novels that they're uh, doing the patio ver- book version of. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I wasn't too impressed by the novel. It's about how uh, Jack Justice and Trixie Dixon first meet. And I, I haven't finished it, but the start was kind of boilerplate noir fiction. Mm-hmm. And Nothing wrong with that, especially if you enjoy the genre. But it was, I wasn't finding anything new. But uh, the Albatross, I was really impressed with almost immediately about all the ground they were covering. And they were dealing with a lot of themes that don't often come up in noir stories. Mm-hmm. Partly because coming out of the 40s, you're not going to talk about race or uh, class or sec- the sexism that exists. Yeah, It's not going to be directly addressed. And they were tackling them. Yeah, it seems like they were definitely, you know, addressing this stuff and they talk about it. I mean, part of it is, is um, you know, they're engaging in some historiography and saying, well, we're going to deal with it, but we're going to make sure that our characters basically tend to have a very modern viewpoint of it and a very modern understanding of, yeah, the system's pretty racist, but we're not. But the system is, so we can't use the system. And like when they go to the the apartment, and they're like, well, all the neighbors are black, so they won't talk to us. Um and so that part, I was like a little disappointed in it being, you know, so cut and dry. None of these main characters are racist. Um, and then it's almost disappointing that the the help that they get from the nun is not from one of the black neighbors, you know, crossing the, the racial boundary. It's another white person, you we know, assume. giving them. Yeah, this we assume giving it, giving them information. And so there's a little bit of trouble with that because I, I don't think they have any black characters with a voice in this episode. That's one of the, uh, but, but I assume that's dealing with some limitations and trying not to step out of bounds. It's also one of the challenges of an audio medium. Yeah. Of like, do you want to make a character sound ethnic? Is that, especially nowadays, is that appropriate? Yeah. Or do we need to label them some way? And this actually also is really interesting when you dissect the title, Blackjack Justice, because 
His name is Jack Justice. And then obviously, Why are we going Blackjack? Yeah, yeah, they're trying to do a play on Blackjack. But, since but in this episode... Well, it, and it, also since it's separated as two words, uh, it could imply race. Yeah. But they make it very clear in the, in the episode of The Albatross that, he, that Jack Justice is white. Yeah. Because yeah. they talk about why the uh, Sabian didn't go to a black detective. Yeah. A black PI. Yeah. And so there's a lot of... I mean, really delicate stuff. And I don't think that they cross any negative boundaries. It's it's a tricky territory. And, you know, they're trying to work within it. And so I don't really have a complaint with that, except for the fact it's like, okay, we want to deal with this topic, but you're still kind of being very um, one-sided on it. Well, they, they bring it up, but they're not setting out to try and solve racism. Yeah. As mm-hmm. some uh, movies or shows try to do. Uh, by showing people overcoming these boundaries. Yeah. They're just bringing him up and saying these exist. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like, this is the world. But it's also going to one sided where like through. All, all the good characters don't seem to be racist and the bad yeah. characters do. <laughs> yeah. And so they're still playing with that. And so they're not going to be, you know, extremely complex and, um, I, I, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but, you know, really digging into, you know, the reality of it and the difficulties of it in the thirties and, and all those things. It's, it's, this is not a nuanced portrayal of yeah. these topics. Yeah. And so that's something I, I noticed about it, but I don't think it really detracted from my overall enjoyment of the story, which was pretty satisfying. And if we want to just go with it being, you know, not extremely nuanced, you know, the characters, all the good guys are, are, you know, pretty straightforward and all the bad guys are pretty straightforward. Then it's, it's pretty solid in that regard. And I, I think that's a pretty standard situation that you run into when writers are um, writing characters they want you to like, even when the setting says they should be homophobic or they should be racist or they should be anti-Semitic. If you, you yeah, know, it, it's hard for a writer to put any of those kind of colors uh, into into their character to to you know to make the character more nuanced. Um, and in this, where well, we're like, they do. What was that? They do slightly bring it up mm-hmm. and address it because. Well, not uh, the racism, but they do address sexism mm-hmm. because Jack Justice refers to Laverne as the girl yeah. throughout. And Sabian says, stop doing that. Yeah, and part of that name. is that PTSD and Sabian trying to deal with his guilt of not being able to solve this uh, and seeing it as a person, not as just a body. Uh, and Jack Justice trying to avoid that. But that does bring up that issue. And it does question... How does Jack view women, especially with his relationship with Trixie, which is yeah. definitely coming from this 1940s trope of bickering partners, um, Nick and Nora from the Thin Man series, also Sam and Diane from Cheers, which you've discussed, uh, having that approach. I haven't seen His Girl Friday. I think that's the His title. Girl Friday. Uh, His Girl Friday. His Girl Friday. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Tracy Hepburn dynamic mm-hmm. Yeah. that. Uh, that like they're trying to imitate that style. Right. I will say, um, I, I thought they wrote very good patter, and it was largely very well delivered. Um, I did not feel um undercurrents, at least in the few episodes I've listened to. Obviously, there's you know dozens of these episodes, so there may be there. But I didn't feel an undercurrent of flirtation really um, present between Trixie and Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, the is kind I of think the, the the um the pacing and delivery overall was was really good throughout i think in each episode there were maybe one or two lines that i wanted a second take on um but i think they i think they do it straight through um would be my guess like a like a radio show well i think that another thing they do very well and 
wanting to address that idea of the audio medium is uh, they do a good job imitating the voice styles of the 40s. Mm-hmm. This is that clipped mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah. Um, the kind of where, the news radio reader, like when you see old time newsreels at the beginning of films to help establish, uh, con, you know, the context, they always mm-hmm. do the very clipped fast reading of, <laughs> you know, every, every yeah, and these are, these are accents that don't exist anymore. No, the mid Atlantic never existed. It was just made up by Hollywood to try and be a universal accent. Right. And so they taught all the actors how to speak it. And, uh, I mean, some still do. Um, David Hyde Pierce was trained in the mid Atlantic. Mm. Uh, accent of delivery um as far as the characters themselves what do you think we get for jack and for trixie um i guess let's focus on these two episodes and then i can talk about anything i picked up on listening to some of the other episodes but like if we're going to try and define who these characters are what are we getting and and again these are very brief episodes so we only have about 45 minutes of content i think we've listened to of these two characters yeah maybe maybe a little more maybe maybe an hour total it may just be a sketch uh that we're able to provide but what kind of differentiates these two characters in your minds or what are some of their their key characteristics where do you want to start (laughs) let's i guess let's start with trixie um okay She's definitely more playful. She has a little a little more energy to it, but it's not like a bubbly energy. She's not a, a positive go-getter. No, she's uh, just as um, hard-nosed but, as Blackjack. But she enjoys it a little bit more. It yeah. doesn't feel like she has the albatrosses around her neck that Jack does. No, it seems yeah, like... Yeah, it doesn't get to her the same way it gets to him. Yeah, and like you said, their relationship isn't flirtatious, Um but actually they're much are treated much more like partners. Uh, they're more equal. She's not the secretary. Mm-hmm. She's not the sidekick. She is, well, at least in the albatross an active part and in a matter born, she decides she's to, pretty drunk. The whole she time. decides to get drunk and uh, not take part in this case. And, and I think, I think that could be a choice to say she sees there's nothing really going on here. Like, She's not concerned yeah. about the murder because she's like, this guy's come on. <laughs> Don't we all know what's going on? No, no just the, Jack. Okay. Yeah. Now in both these episodes, it's Jack who uh, does ultimately solve the mystery. Um, I don't. I. I would hope that in other episodes she gets the chance so to get yeah, a big reveal. But it seems like. I mean, he is the title character. It. It seems like they definitely make him the lead. Yeah, in one of the earlier episodes that I did go back and listen to, he, uh, I mean, this is going to shock you guys to hear that this was a plot point. He gets framed for a murder. Uh, but she in, is in definitely... A, in a noir detective story? Yes, I know. He has a bad relationship with the cops. Uh, they're eager to bring him in because they've never trusted him because, you know, he's uh, he lives on that raggedy edge of justice. Uh, so, yeah, he, he gets brought in, and she's the one that's out there um, providing the way for him to clear his name and doing the work to, to clear his name because... Um, or I, I think he's on the run at that point. He wasn't actually arrested, but he's on the run. I'm trying to remember how, how it all worked, but she like cleverly gets clues through lawyers and other things. So she kind of solves it and gives him the clues. I think he, the way it may have worked. Now I'm thinking back on it. Uh, he was on the run and the cops were holding her for questioning and she asked to talk to her lawyer and she had already figured everything out and Jack had it. And she got through the lawyer. I uh, was able to get word to him of what he needed to do to clear his name. Um, so there are definitely some times where she is the one that's a little quicker on the uptake or, or puts the pieces together first and is responsible for, for saving Jack's bacon. Uh, uh, and, 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 then, well, and that's important that she is competent at this job. Yeah. Um, in that novel that I was listening to, part of what they talked about was how she started into the business and why she goes by the moniker Trixie Dixon Girl Detective. 
um, which she she also finds insulting, but it sounds the best. And it also is disarming to say, you know, look, I'm the weak female. You don't have to fear me, but I'm actually much more clever than you think. <laughs> right. Uh, and um, she she doesn't like we said, she doesn't feel like the sidekick and she doesn't feel like the damsel in distress in any of the episodes that I've listened to. That's not her role in this. Yeah. Um, and again, I want to credit um, the actress. Let me go double check uh, her name. So I make sure I get this right. Um, Andrea Lyons. She does a great patter. Uh, the film noir kind of narration. Um, well, and not just, not just the patter, but when she gets the moments to narrate, she can actually do that hard boiled detective voice mm-hmm. or that hard boiled detective tone. I should say. Yeah, yeah, both of them I think really nailed that, and so I, I very much enjoyed hearing uh, their their narration. And like you said, John, they go back and forth some. So he, uh, Blackjack Justice or Jack Justice, narrates some of them, and uh, Trixie narrates some, some parts uh, of I think each episode that I've listened to. They kind of takes take some turns narrating to give that um, you know it's that overwrought with too many metaphors and uh, <laughs> that that, that kind of dialogue that really only fits. In noir, it, it doesn't fit well, in, in other genres. Lots of analogies and similes. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk some about Jack Justice. What do we get uh, in for him in these episodes? Cynical, classic, jaded, yeah, yeah, burned out. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all the hard-boiled noir yeah, tropes. Like, like, but let's he, ha- let's define what those tropes are. Yeah, and so, so I mean the, I mean the cynical and jaded are kind of shorthand for. He's been doing this for a long time, and it has worn away his his faith in humanity, more or less. Well, and also probably something happened in the past mm-hmm. that caused that to happen. That pro- like often these uh, private detectives would have been part of the police at some point, and then they recognize a failure and, in the system. There's and, or yeah. they're drummed out because of something out of their control, and they see that this isn't justice. Yeah, yeah, and so they want to operate outside the lines to serve the higher purpose. So the noir detective is a gray hat. And what I mean by that is you have your black hats who are the bad guys, your white hats who are the good guys. And the uh, hardboiled detective exists in the middle. Yeah. They are, uh, they're much more willing to go outside the bounds of the law to solve the crime. But that's part of why Sabian comes to them in the albatross is his hands are tied, but these private detectives aren't, they can, keep going and actually do things he couldn't. Um, yeah. And this is a really important. Are, oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Uh, but it's all in the service of trying to create justice. And that's not justice according to the court. So that's what his uh, Jack justice's speech at the end of the albatross is about. He says, like, if you think this is justice to kill him here, instead of putting yeah, the court, then go ahead. But go if ahead, you're doing like, it to serve to yourself, then. And so like, that's part of also in the hard boiled detectives, is we see that like they're a certain distrust of authority. That that monologue was my favorite part of any of the episodes I've listened to. I thought that was really well written and really well delivered um, uh, in that scene. And like you said, John, it kind of gets at the core of what makes a noir detective, you know, fit in that world. Um, and I, I was just going to add that, you know, with the things that you're talking about, this is really important in the development of American popular culture. This kind of outsider hero uh, is a thread that runs from dime novels the first kind of mass-produced entertainment through the modern day uh we have the as, as you call it the gray hat or the outsider heroes the ones who would are willing to use um 
the tools or methods that the good guys won't, but it's always in order to protect civilization, to protect uh, the right. Um, but they, they, their methods um, are in inside of that gray area. And this is, um, you know, goes back to uh, the early frontiersmen in dime novels. It is the, the noir detectives. It is some of the superheroes, not all of them. Superman is much more of an establishment yeah. character, but Batman is mm-hmm. this, uh, this kind of character. And, um, and then you the, see it, the cowboys. Yeah, the cowboys, absolutely right. Well, well the 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 gunfighter cowboy, yeah. at yeah. least. And 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 you see right. it in modern day with things like um, Jack Bauer, another Jack, you know, on twenty four. Like he's he's always doing it for the greater good, but he breaks every rule yeah. that exists. Um, Mission Impossible. <laughs> yes, he always goes rogue. Exactly because the system can't be trusted, and so Tom Cruise has to do his thing. Or medi- just about any medical show, any like medical House. drama. Yeah, House. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The hospital so is always. Is. Well, anyway yeah, yeah. And, and i love it in um all the cop shows when like after a couple seasons like the superiors are like we can't trust your methods i'm like they have a hundred percent success rate they have closed every case <laughs> that has appeared before them but now the higher ups are uncomfortable with the way they're doing it which is because they're always skirting the you know the boundaries so it's not really outrageous for the higher ups to be um concerned about how things are being done but at the same time it's like mm, they catch every single murderer ever period End of story. Uh, <laughs> um, and 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 I I a lot of those versions that we say like are carrying on present day. It's doing some of that genre mash- mashing, the very postmodern thing. Where okay, we're going to do uh, kind of this outsider character, uh, but we're going to do it in a medical drama. We're going to do it in a spy story. We're going to do it um, in, in superheroes. And I, I like again going back and uh, or, or finding out finding this story that is going to do like one of the pure early versions of this that really distilled um, so much of what uh, we've come to expect in those outsider characters uh, it, as the private eye detective, the, um, the guy who can't be part of the police force. Often in these stories, they were a part of the police force and got kicked off. Um, and, and they're going to have, uh, because they operate in that gray area, they're going to have their underworld contacts. They're going to have connections to the crime crime world they're gonna um step through the red tape that would prohibit uh, an actual police detective from doing these things in order to go find out the truth and enact justice uh and and i think that is a strength and again that that monologue that gets delivered for me was one of the best summations of of some of what makes a great film noir detective a great film noir detective yeah they they really did a good job in um in in that story in particular the albatross because that's the really more noir of the the two stories the the manor one is a little just more fun mystery it's, uh it's it, a little cozier yeah it, it's a lot of the movie clue yeah it, it sounds a lot like clue the, the butler, butler the master yeah. switching um but so for the albatross like you said it it's dealing with all of that stuff and it's doing a really really good job with it it's it's obviously not inventing any of this outsider hero stuff or film noir stuff but that speech really is distilling it and saying like no, we get it. This is this is what the nature of it is. And I think that speech is um is yeah, one of like you said, one of the better examples that you can get where they really distill in in the story for the characters, what is the difference between being a gray hat and becoming a black hat? And it's, you know, are you serving the higher purpose or are you serving yourself? Are you doing it, you know, well, I think it's so also saying to say or are you doing it for for the entire society? Because that's the whole point of these outsider heroes is to use the methods outside of society to protect society. Yeah. I think it's also saying to Sabian, you can do this and we're not going to stop you, but you're one of us. You become, uh, you know, at best a gray hat. Um, If you pull the trigger and kill green. Yeah. Um, You'll be compromised. 
you will no longer be the white hat. And Sabian has always been the white hat. That's frustrated the, you know, yeah, that you, Jack you and Trix can't do what be they do. a clean cop if you do this. So one of the things we should probably talk about, and you may have talked about this with the Maltese Falcon episode, but uh, we did the big uh, sleep why... actually for uh, an earlier film. Oh, one. sorry. The big sleep. <laughs> Sorry, I mixed up my Chandler <laughs> and Dashiell Hammett and <laughs> all those tones that going on at the same. But that actually helps my point was this all came about in the really the 1940s is when this was popularized. And these serials that they're doing are set in the 1940s. So let's talk a little bit of why this particular character came out of there. Like you said, the character type has a long history, but this was a, a new iteration of it. Why did it come about in that moment? Meaning the film noir detective, the like the private eye version yeah. of of this. Um, it's this kind of uh, I, I, you know, it's it's the post war questioning of you know, are there eternal things like true, you know, true justice, like these these ideas that had defined um, a lot of uh, culture and also like defined the themes of a lot of narratives previously got a bit shaken <laughs> between uh, both World War One. <laughs> And then World War II, uh, you know, like World War One did a lot of shaking, and but everyone was kind of like, well, it was the war to end all wars. And then we'll get World War II, it's kind of like, well, what's the point of anything? Uh, and so yeah, there's, like, the, there's a, a nihilism and existential yeah. concern of like, can't we, we we went through this again, guys, and it got worse. Yeah, not just that uh, it got worse. You had the atomic bombs, but I think it, there are some deeper roots than just the war. You had before then the Great Depression, and during that era, the gangsters were actually glamorized. Mm-hmm. As, prohibition era stuff. yeah as this these uh not heroes but as these important figures that um uh that we can look up to and so this is kind of a response to that saying no we need to get under control but we can't do it the same way anymore yeah not and not so, heroes but achievers yeah um they were achieving their goals in a way that most people felt that they couldn't and, um post-war stuff also, and, they were, and they were successful in a time when yeah. a lot of people were not being successful yeah and that becomes an ideal for. Part of it was also that with the Great Depression, the uh, authority figures, not just people, but the idea of government seemed to be failing. Yeah, it's like they were supposed to protect us from this kind of crisis. What's happening? Mm-hmm. They can't support us. They can't help us. They can't lead us. So there's a crisis of faith there. And that definitely influences the noir. This distrust of authority uh, is why they work outside the law. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and I, th- and I, think I think with. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. I think um, also with post-war influence, you have just the influx of people back into American society after experiencing the war and an extremely heightened level of violence and trauma. And they're trying to cope with all of that. Mm -hmm. And you have people who, in some cases, are coping with that because I can't leave that violence behind. And so they need a violent outlet. And that might be reading these stories about the the detectives who have these violent um, methods. Um, and mechanisms in a way that in the thirties, you can't convey that the same way you can't, you know, write characters with that kind of ferocity in the same way, but post-war it's, it's a very different kind well, of situation. Actually, several of the classic characters come from the thirties, but it wasn't really popularized until the forties with the films mm-hmm. adaptations in particular, but also the um, radio shows and the comic books. Yeah. So you get a different depiction of that kind of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone just had a different exposure to it at that point. Certainly. And I, I think there's a difference between kind of the, like the earlier versions uh, in dime novels, you get the frontiersman and the cowboy, and then even uh, secret agents uh, before we get to the, you know, kind of the private eye detective version. And with those ones, um, it was often, okay, I don't fit in with society, but I'm just going to go off, you know, to the edge 
and that's fine. Like you, they're not nearly as weighed down as we get with kind of the personal personal angst and the and the brokenness of the film noir detectives. Like there's something much more personal in terms of the impact this lifestyle has had on them, and they they can't escape to the frontier. They can't ride off into the sunset anymore because you know that's closed by this point, and so they escape into these kind of seedy underbellies of of large cities um, where where rules are bent a lot more. Um, but they're carrying a much greater burden that you see depicted both through this kind of overwrought narration, but also through some of the choices that they're making. Like, uh, you know, when, when we get to, um, the, the private eye detectives, they're all hard drinking. They're all self-destructive. They're all putting themselves into situations that aren't safe. Uh, and, and that's a little different than some of the, the versions of these characters that we saw previously. Yeah. And I think we should also clarify that this is an American reaction. The hardball detective is really an American genre Yeah, because, Mystery fiction actually often blooms after these uh, traumatic cultural moments, uh, wars in particular. After World War I, uh, in England, they had a blossoming of detective fiction, particularly with Agatha Christie. But that is an entirely different detective. Yeah, Agatha Christie is not a hard-boiled yeah. film noir detective. Yeah, those are whodunit mysteries where it is about solving the crime and restoring order uh, as a way of making sense of this trauma that society has gone through. And here we have a very different reaction. It's still detective fiction, but I don't think we have that idea of restoration of order anymore. That at the end of the story, things are still broken. Yeah, and that is the status quo. Yeah. We said that Blackjack Justice is doing a more straight up uh, telling, in, in, obviously with modern creators uh but but doing the noir detective from the 30s and 40s and just doing a more straight version today rather than playing with other genres or or making it light or poking fun and you get to the end of the albatross and like you said well there it is (laughs) that's just kind of like (laughs) yeah the the system really really doesn't doesn't make you feel great even when in this case justice was carried out by you know green got life in prison but it's still just kind of like yeah these are all gonna haunt us (laughs) yeah well, and then they really kind of tie a button on that or, or tie a bow over it where he gets the Moretti file and he says, oh, I was right. They didn't give me all the info, but he was super guilty and actually things were way worse than I thought. And they were being nice by doing it this way. Yeah, they didn't release the suicide note because they were trying to protect the children. Yeah, from from knowing that about their mother. He's like, well, I mean, I guess it's not on me, but this still sucks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he like I did. I, I I guess I should like they didn't kill someone innocent and it's not my fault for not proving it. It was actually two people were guilty and they just didn't tell everyone. Yeah. I do like that moment, though, of uh, I mean, we said in this episode, this is the closest that we see, at least from what I've. Uh, in uh, you know uh, consumed of the series lieutenant sabian um you know s- skirting the edge of being one of those guys who is willing to break the rules and he's breaking the rules by giving jack this file um but it, it doesn't feel like he's becoming you know one of one of the <laughs> one of the the gray hats it's just i owe you yeah. and this is a way to balance the scales of what i owe you yeah that seems like a decent balancing mm-hmm. point whereas in the in the um apartment you're definitely getting a different feel. And and when Jack gives that speech, you, you get it laid out really well. We didn't talk a lot about the manor. Is there anything that we need to talk about for that one? 
Um, I, again, I just they really liked. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a dog. <laughs> yes, I, I just really like that. In these two episodes, you get very different tones. I, I think for the kind of discussion that we do on this um, podcast, there was more to dig into in the albatross episode than the manor. But um, knowing that there are dozens and dozens of these episodes that are going to have uh, a, a writing and um, performance of this caliber, and that some may be more playful, clue-like, cozy mysteries, and some may be darker um, things like the albatross. Um, you know, I appreciate that they can stick in the same genre but play with tone so much uh, in, in in these two episodes. Uh, I just don't think there's much uh, thematic heft to. Uh, the Matter House one. Well, I think it's, it might serve as a good contrast. Like you said, both the difference in tone, but the difference in topic. Um, if we look at class issues, the Albatross is dealing with lower class uh, crime, whereas the Manor is, 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 is upper class. Yeah, upper class. Uh, and um, I think that's a shows that range like you were saying um and if every episode was like the albatross it might be like am i ready for another episode of blackjack Justice? <laughs> yeah this is it, <laughs> am like, i in the, the mood it would be hard to listen to it <laughs> uh well and i think this brings up uh an idea about genre fiction and why we consume genre fiction part of it is there is a comfort in that familiarity we know the tropes we know the cliches and sometimes it's nice to dive into those but it's also nice when it gets challenged mm-hmm that it does something that we're not familiar with and that keeps us interested. And so that blending of the familiar and the new uh, is what makes for some really good writing and really good uh, productions. Yeah. So if I can download these episodes and make sure that I'm going to get the over the top narration uh, that's being well delivered by these actors uh, and, and being well written and uh, you know, a a mystery that's going to hit all the acts within a very small window <laughs> of time. Uh, that That's something I'm willing, uh, you and, know, to add to my and satisfying space. mystery. Yeah. yeah. Where you can kind of see where it's going, but you don't see quite how it's going to get there. Um, in some cases, like how are they going to find the next clue and how is that yeah. going to lead them to the conclusion? Cause or I even, trust that they're going to solve it. Yeah. And even if you know the conclusion from the beginning, particularly with like the man in a manner born, you, pre- you can predict how that's going to go. It's a question of, all right, well, how are they going to do it this time? Yeah. Uh, like, I wasn't surprised when they said, oh, he's not dead, but I hadn't caught that they had switched roles, uh, <laughs> you know, myself, which, like, as you say, oh, they, they did that in Clue. Like, this isn't breaking I, I new grounds. A, I had my suspicions because uh, they had the voice for Smith sounded young. Mm. And it's like, mm. this doesn't quite fit the butler role. Um, and that's one of the things I want to talk about is we might be heading towards the finish is how does a audio format work differently than some of the other um, mediums that you've explored in more depth? Well, it seems like a bigger question <laughs> than I think we can handle in the last. I, five I mean, well, I mean, this is kind of a broad introduction to narrative or narrative fiction in podcast. Form. Yeah. So, it, and I've, I've listened to a fair amount and I can see that uh, you can kind of tell when it's a uh, good quality where they've had lots of experience. Also, if they have, good microphones or able to do good editing and not everyone can afford that. But there are things of how do you convey the information? Right. How do you show actions through the audio format, which um, like listening to the old time Superman radio show, that is where some phrases like up, up and away came from because they had to say, okay, well he's jumping up into the air uh, in the end. How do, how do we indicate that he is 
you know, performing his or using his powers. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of, Oh, go ahead. And one of the big challenges in the audio format is conveying that information. And uh, the noir format is very good for this because you can have that heavy handed narration that is part of the genre. Yeah. You, you cut away and, and they're just speaking to the audience. Yeah. Whereas in other forms, uh, you shouldn't have that, but then you're not getting enough information or sometimes they try and do narration and acted dialogue and there's a disjunction between them. And so here it works very well to have both because that's the genre. How, how do they do it in red? Uh, and I, I hadn't listened to any of those yet. Um, they do a little more since it's superhero. It's a little more of a separate voiceover, I believe. Yeah, like the classic like Superman, they had a, a narrator who described a lot of the yeah. action. Um, so they they have that, but and they would say the things like, "Meanwhile," but also uh, this is important: is that you never have characters alone, where they're just speaking. Their th- or like sometimes you can pull that off, especially if it's more of a modern setting that they're recording uh, to their phone, but. Uh, part of the reason why you have blackjack and Trixie Dixon together is so they can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having someone for them to talk to is really yeah. critical for those kinds of things. That's a, I mean, that's why Sherlock Holmes has Watson. That's literally why Robin was introduced to Batman. So they could were, talk it out. Yeah. They didn't want to keep doing the thought bubbles. They wanted or have, in, um, to have someone he could talk to. I got to remember. I can't remember off the top of my head if Jimmy Olsen was created for the radio show, but that's very much his role in the radio show is to have, I think he was created. Yeah, I have a lot of things show. explained and caught up uh, for the audience of kids because that was targeting kids. And like you said, um, I've been listening to the Sherlock Holmes. And in those, the way they they um, keep some of the information from the audience is that Watson is the one describing what's going on and he's missing it. <laughs> you know, he, he's, he doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And Sherlock Holmes is like, you don't see it yet, do you? And um, and, and Holmes is often a jerk. Uh, but... but <laughs> But it provides for storytelling this very important role that you're saying, John, of allowing some of the exposition to be provided in a way that feels natural. And again, noir stories in general, uh, because we accept the voiceover narration as part of that, they, they you know, you get a pass. And uh, in, in the case of Blackjack Radio, I think they do a great job of writing uh, that style of monologue. Um, but w- as you get into other genres, to- it's, it's like, how, how do we provide this? For the audience. And when you think for a second that this is 40 some episodes into Blackjack Justice, the fact that they're still able to keep that narration fresh, mm-hmm. uh, that hard boiled narration fresh, that, that in itself is a feat. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, any final thoughts on Blackjack Justice? Uh, not on Blackjack Justice itself, but since we're now breaching into podcasts and they might come up some more on. Uh, this uh, series, perhaps some podcast recommendations for narrative stories would be appropriate. Um, well, one of the ones that I think you recommended to me, John, was Thrilling Adventure Hour, which had um, a massive back catalog of uh, different styles of stories, a uh, Western in space kind of story called Sparks, Nevada, um, kind of a, a horror, uh, but you know, but light horror being mysteries being solved. Or supernatural. Yeah. Supernatural or, yeah. Uh, mysteries being solved by this very drunk couple uh, in uh, <laughs> beyond belief. Uh, I, I, my understanding is they're, they are switching after, um, so, so it ran for years and then they took a break and now they're bringing it back and it's going to be a little more donor based. So some of these old episodes of that are disappearing so, from the feed. 
Yeah, I think they switched it. So the feed doesn't have all those back catalog. No. And that was also a live show, kind of like how they originated Decoder Ring Theater, where they perform in front of an audience. So they brought Breck recently, but it's not in front of an audience. It's all recorded in a studio. But also they moved a lot of their back catalog to the Patreon feed. But... Uh, but they, I mean, it's it's a lot of content. Yeah, they have some, and they have some of their older content still up on the feed, and that is definitely the first one I would recommend if you're interested in narrative fiction on in the podcast form. Um, what other uh, ones have you guys uh, listened to, Andrew? Do you have? Anything? I I mean, I haven't. Um, the the closest thing is I've listened to a number of um, Dungeons and Dragons or or other role playing game podcasts where it's kind of that collaborative fiction, um, but not the same level uh, of production and narrative fiction. Um, and, but that is a field that is definitely growing. That's one of the, yeah, it's, it's one of the, where... it's, it's a very popular section of podcasting because they get to basically play the game as is and just record it and put it out there. And there's a chance people might be paying Ho- for it. Hopefully edited. <laughs> yes. With, with some trimming, but um, it's pretty straightforward, but it, it is, it, it scratches the narrative itch. Um, and you could just search for those um, live play or actual play podcasts or, or D&D podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend Wooden Overcoats. It's a British sitcom type about uh, rival funeral homes on a small island. <laughs> well, I like the premise. <laughs> That's, I enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been pushing to have that one appear on the, this podcast at some point for a discussion. Um, if you like anthologies... Uh, I would go with the 20% True podcast, which is um, short stories and the author reads them. And so it's not uh, this performative narrative fiction, hmm. but she's a very good writer. Uh, I enjoy her stories a lot. And also The Unseen Hour, another British anthology series where they record stage short stage plays they do. Um, and But it's uh, kind of a Twilight Zone style. Um, and so those are some that I would recommend. And listeners, if you have any recommendations, please feel free to drop those in the uh, comments under the Facebook post at, uh, let's see, what is our Facebook fan page called again? Uh, I read it off every week. <laughs> 200 episodes. Uh, Facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. There it is. <laughs> uh, and there'll be a post for this episode and you can drop in a comment uh, of any narrative podcast that you recommend. And like I said, I, I want to start mixing those in a little more frequently um, into the protagonist podcast for the kind of shows that we discuss. Um, but I think that is going to wrap up this episode. So thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review that really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English who designed our logo and Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 59 when we talked about Veronica Mars or episode number 138 when we talked about the big sleep. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback back at protagonistpodcast.com we're also on twitter you can follow at protagonistpod and at jay dorowski and our producer andrew is at Dizminute. and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast and that is the link i was trying to remember a few minutes ago uh we enjoy the conversations there and hopefully we'll have some suggestions in the show notes for this episode or in the, in the comments for this episode if you would like to support the show financially you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long
that's why we you know we finished uh i mean we said this one is is doing more of a straight up version t- telling of a film noir story or a noir detective story and we get to, excuse me i'm gonna give you an edit point there andrew 